Lord, we ask now that as we have heard your word, you would help our minds to focus on what you have to say, that we would see the magnificence of you speaking to us, that your son has come and that he has spoken and that we might know you and him through this word today. We pray that by your spirit, you would ready our eyes to see ourselves and this world and life as you see it. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, every family, every friendship, every kind of relationship has someone in it that consistently asks these words. Are you ready yet? Are you ready that yet? In our family, it's usually Sarah that asks those words first. She's the more planned out of all of us. She's kind of like, are you ready yet? Are you right to go? Have you got this stuff? Usually I'm trying to do three or four more things because I'm like, we can pack them in before we go. And that's, that's the tension in our kind of marriage. And then it moves on to the rest of our kids. And there's this endless commentary that keeps saying every day, have you got your bag yet? You know, have you got your shoes on? Why aren't you wearing socks? Have you fed the rabbit? Where's your hat? Have you got your lunch? Are you ready to go? I don't know if that's something that your family is like. We spend a significant portion of our lives getting ready, ready to go out, ready to meet the world each day, getting ready to get a job in life or ready for Christmas. Are you ready yet? We, we get ready for our future. I read an article this week that said that the cost of sending a child through primary and secondary education to get ready for life was $35,000. Per child. That's what the government spends in New Zealand on getting a child through their primary and secondary education. It's a lot of money spent on getting ready. I look back at my study, and, and since um, high school, I've spent $85,000 on tertiary education. That's a lot of money to be able to get a job, to get ready for something, right? We spend a lot of our lives getting ready. Well, in this part of the Bible, as we keep looking through Jesus heading to his death and resurrection and preparing his followers for what it means to follow him, we see Jesus has just finished explaining to his disciples that life does not consist in the sum of our possessions. We saw that last week, and if you want to hear it, it's on our website. If you missed it, it'll be worth checking out. Life does not consist in the sum of our possessions, but in the things that we do that last forever. He was encouraging the disciples and those around him to invest in eternity, to store up treasures in heaven. I want to ask you, how have you gone this week at assessing your investment plans and their eternal reward? How has that gone as you think through how you use your life and the resources that God has entrusted to you? I sent out an email this week with a link to a pledge form, which is really just a good opportunity for people in church to sit down and work out their eternal investment plan. How can I spend the resources and time and money that God has given me for the kingdom? How much can I give back to God in this area? I want to encourage you to actually think through that. Uh, If you haven't already, uh, see that email. We'll send out another one um, maybe towards the end of next week. But think through that this December. Think about how you might spend God's money. But Jesus challenges us there that as we think about the things we have, as we think about life, not to worry about food or clothes or money, but to trust God. But how do we trust Jesus in life? What does that look like for the here and the now? Jesus says, be ready. Live in light of the end. Live in light of the end. Look, Luke 12, verse 35. Get dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. 
Be like people waiting for their master to come back from the wedding celebration so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. And Jesus here, talking to the people that are around him, he's preparing his followers, not only for the reality that he was going away, but the reality that he's coming back. If you talk to people uh, around the world and talk about the return of Jesus, often people think that someone who thinks Jesus is coming back is in some wacky cult, right? Like Jesus is coming back and they all go and sell all their possessions and, and live in some commune and grow hippie beards and hair. and I don't know what happens. But people kind of put it in, in the cult area. We mustn't let that be the case. We must hold on to this for Jesus is coming back. Now, I don't know if you were anything like me at school. Um, part of me hopes that you weren't. But uh, when I was at school, I, I, di- I distinctly remember what happened every time the teacher would leave the classroom. You know those moments, the class is quietly working, and the teacher's like, I've just got to zip out to get something. For me, you kind of look up, and there's this electricity in the air. What's going to happen? Who's going to do something? What are we going to say? What prank can we pull on the teacher? I remember um, gluing a tape, a roll of masking tape to the table in a physics class when the teacher left the room. And we finished the class, we all went outside, the teacher was cleaning up and tried to pull the tape off the table and pull the table over. And was like, what's going on? And we just laughed, and anyway misspent youth, right? But, but the moment the teacher left the room, we just, we just did stuff. It's just what we did. It can be a little bit like that if you're in a workplace and uh, your boss goes away for a bit of time or he's away for a day or an annual leave. It's kind of a bit more relaxed atmosphere around, isn't it? Uh, people kind of settle back a bit. Phew, the boss kind of isn't watching. Um, one company that I've worked for, I won't name them, and it's a true story. Whenever the boss went away, one of the employees used to sleep under his desk. Oh, I kid you not. He'd, kind of have, he'd have later nights and get home earlier and earlier and earlier in the morning and he'd come to work and the boss would be out and he would take off his hat and he would sleep under his desk at the office. Um, I remember the day that the boss came in and there was like a thump and that was his head hitting the top of the desk to try and get back up and someone said, the boss is coming. The saying's true, isn't it? When the cat's away, the mice will play. When the cat's away, the mice will play. Now, I'm sure that doesn't happen here at EV when the senior pastor goes on holidays. I'm sure kind of the staff don't like, well, let's change everything. Um, anyway, don't. Uh, <laughs> in all these situations, it kind of seems like it's all fun and games until the teacher comes back. And we have to pay the consequences of afternoon detention for sticky taping, a, for gluing a thing to the, to, to the table. And we have to pay the consequences when the boss returns. That employee lost his job uh, because of that. Uh, what is it about us as humans that we just need accountability? We just seem to need accountability. Well, here, Jesus is saying, you don't have to worry about your, your teacher or your boss. The greatest accountability everyone in this world has is this. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. At this point in Luke, he hasn't left yet, but he's preparing the world for the most important date, a date that no one will miss, but so many won't be ready for. Jesus' return. The day when we meet Jesus again. Whether we go to Jesus or Jesus comes to you, the question is, are you ready? You notice here in the passage, it's not, look, I want you to start thinking about getting ready at some point in the future because maybe I'll come back soon. It's not, look, you need to be prepared to have a plan if that happens. It's, it is happening. Get ready now. Be ready now. I think 
for most of us, it's probably, we think, more likely that Jesus will return after we die. It's been 2,000 years already, right? We kind of mumble along in life and serve Jesus and think, well, he's probably not going to come back by the end of this talk. We kind of think that. But imagine for a second he did. Imagine Jesus came back in 30 minutes' time. What would you have liked to have done with your time and your life and your resources? What would you have wanted to have put right with others? If Jesus came back in 30 minutes, how would that change the way we think about life and about what's important and what matters? I want to give you a couple of seconds to think through that. I want to give you a second to think about what, what would I change in my life if I knew Jesus was coming back in 30 minutes' time? Jesus says to us, are you ready? Are you ready? I think for many of us, for me at least, as I naturally think through the day of Jesus' return, there's something that's actually quite terrifying about it. There's an element that we'll get to in a moment to see that, that there is a real judgment that does come. But I want us to notice today that the thing Jesus sets his followers up to be ready for is a celebration. It's a wedding. Now, for some of us in the room, I don't know if you've been to a number of weddings, and for you, weddings can get tired. I remember I was best man or in the bridal party for um, four weddings within about two years. I was just over it. I'm like, oh, wedding, that's boring. Do I have to go to another one? Oh, Uh, Maybe for you, the thought of getting married is like, no, that's just definitely not for me. But here, it's a good image, okay? Good image. This is a good wedding. It's a wedding of the Lamb with His bride, the church. It's, It's Jesus being united with His people and putting all things right. It's what all weddings and marriages are meant to point to. The great day Jesus comes back and and is united with his people forever, once and for all. And it's a celebration. It's a feast that that doesn't end. This is a good day when Jesus comes back. And I want us to see the blessings of that day. It's important to see the blessings of that day. Verse 37. Blessed are those slaves whose... So let me start again. Blessed are those slaves whom their master finds alert when he returns. I tell the truth. He will dress himself to serve, have them take their place at the table and will come and wait on them. We normally think about Jesus and rightly we think about serving him. He's the the king of the universe. He's the God over all. In verse 40, he calls himself the son of man. What is that actually saying? That's saying he's God. It's referring to a a dream in, in Daniel 7. Have a look at it. It's on the screen, Daniel 7, 14. This picture was, was given of one who would come. He was given authority to rule and glory and kingdom so that those of every people, nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. This is all speaking about one who is called the Son of Man. That's who Jesus is. The one who everyone will serve. Everyone will bow down to whether we like it or not, he is the one whose dominion, whose rule, whose kingship will last forever, unlike any other ruler we have in our society. 
He won't step down. He won't resign. He's the king. But Jesus says, here, on that day he returns, that king above all kings will put on his apron and serve us. He'll serve us. He'll dress himself to serve and come and wait on us and serve us. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes at the great wedding banquet that does not end. This is a wonderful moment of this king serving his people forever. Which, by the way, is what marriage is all about. Husband serving his bride, laying down his life for her, laying down his life. Jesus is this perfect husband and he comes to serve. That is what we have to look forward to. He comes to serve you and me, the king of all kings. I don't know where you are with Jesus today. I want to say to you, here is something not to be missed. Here is something not to forget about, to miss the time for, to not be ready for. This is the future of the universe here. The opportunity to be united, to share eternity with your maker forever. Every tear wiped, every, every pain taken away. Perfect relationship with God and his people and him serving us. Please come and see who this Jesus is. Please ask yourself today, am I ready for the return of this king? Have I treated him rightly? Am I treating him rightly now? But in order to do that, we must accept his invitation. We need to come to him and and trust him. We need to live with him as he really is, king over all. And that means now. So many of us like putting things off, especially painful things, or things that we we consider will be hard. We want to kind of put them off till later or see if they can just go by a bit longer without dealing with them. We need to get off the throne that belongs to God and say, rule my life today. I want to get closer to death, not when I've had my teacher free time. (laughs) Now, be ready. Because no one knows when he's coming back. Have a look at verse 39. But know this, Jesus says, "If if a homeowner had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. No one knows when Jesus is coming back. And in a sense, I'm glad for that. Imagine what we'd be like if we knew when Jesus was coming back. We'd be like, sweet, I don't have to do anything until that day. I can just live however I want and then know that I'll be fine, no problems. And I just, I'd miss out on the blessings of serving Jesus now, of living life through his eyes, far better than the way I can run my life. I'm glad we don't know when Jesus is coming back. Because serving Jesus now is the best way to live life. He made us. He knows what's good for us. But the reality is, like a thief in the night, no one knows when he will return. One of my earliest memories of burglary and robbery uh, when, was when I was in early primary school. Can I see how many people here have ever been burgled? Show of hands, been robbed. Right, so a percentage. We, we know what that's like. Why weren't you ready? There's <laughs> the point, right? Burglars don't leave a little call later slip. <laughs> you weren't home, I'm going to come back later. They come in. 
I remember early primary school, I was um, reasonably young, waking up in the dead of the night to hear these huge bangs, kind of like gunshots. And that's what they were. See, our neighbours, we lived on a a five-acre property with kind of 25-acre blocks around us. Our our closest neighbours down the road, uh, they had guns. And the the shots (laughs) was their house on fire and the rounds going off. I remember waking up in the middle of the night and seeing this almighty glow of this house just burning like crazy. What had happened is people had come. And when our neighbours were on holidays, they were away, they weren't ready. They came and they robbed their house. They took as much as they could. They put it in this big white panel van, apparently. And off they drove and they torched the place on the way. Everything was gone. My dad ran down to try and help. By the time he got there, the house was just taken. The fire brigade got there, just up in smoke. Everything completely flattened of this two-bedroom brick house, gone. His family had restored vintage cars from the 1920s in there. They had all this stuff, all their belongings, everything. And no insurance either. All of it, life, gone. They weren't ready. They weren't expecting that holidays for someone to come and rob their house and torture it. They weren't prepared. They lost everything. Don't make the same mistake with Jesus. Don't make the same mistake with Jesus. Every people, nation and language will serve him. But what that looks like depends on how you treat him now. Are you ready? At this point, Luke records for us that Peter pipes up. I love it when Peter talks. He reminds me much of what I'm like. He always puts his foot in it. He's always thinking with his mouth and kind of saying stuff. And I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. And so he asks at this moment, basically, he's like, hang on a minute, Jesus. You're not talking about us. You're talking about all the other people, aren't you? He's kind of moment, he's like, you talking to, is this parable for us or for everyone else? <laughs> I don't have a problem with this. I know you're coming back. This is really for everyone else, isn't it? Just when we thought we're ready, we've got this sorted, Jesus shows us through the words of Peter, we need to think about this carefully too. Us who do trust Jesus with our lives, who do think we're ready, we need to think about the way that we run life in being ready. Jesus paints in more detail for Peter and for you and me of what it looks like to wait for Jesus' return. Look at verse 42. The Lord said... Who then is the faithful and sensible manager? His master will put in charge of his household servants to give them their allotted food at the proper time. That slave whose master finds him working when he comes will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he'll put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave, the master put in charge of his, of the, um, the manager put in charge of the master's household, if that slave says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming and starts to beat the male and female slaves and eat and drink and get drunk. That slave's master will come on a day he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Jesus doesn't say this to just scare people. He doesn't need to just scare people. He's the king of the universe. He maintains your heart right now and mine. He says it because we need to hear it. He's looking forward to the age of today when he would not be with us in person, but by the work of his word, by his spirit. Spirit and word work together to see this challenge us and convict us and shape us. And what we see here is what's true for the servant is true for the manager. 
The manager too needs to be ready. Parents, pastors, teachers, connect group leaders, kids ministry team, bosses, managers, all of us who have authority over others that we lead must manage, remembering that our master will return to. The king is coming back. We need to think about the way we, we manage all the things that we've been entrusted with, whether that be our finances that Jesus has just spoken of, whether it be our relationships with others that we're around, that we're put in authority over to lead sacrificially like Jesus sets out. Jesus says we are to manage well. Manage well. A manager who doesn't care for those that he or she leads is abusing the privilege they have. They're abusing the authority that they've been delegated. Remember, it's not the manager's authority, it's delegated authority from the God who is king over all, and he will come back. As we wait for Jesus' return, we're to manage all we've been entrusted with well. It really does make me sick to hear at times of the way churches and families abuse people abuse the privilege of power that they've been entrusted with from God. All sorts of horrific things happen. Spiritual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. The stories are here in one another's lives. It's not how it's supposed to be. On that day Jesus comes back, justice will be delivered. Justice will be delivered. Those who manage and abuse their privilege, Jesus says, will be cut in half. It's a symbol of saying God's wrath will be poured out on them. They'll be assigned a place with the unbelievers. Did you hear that? He's talking to people who are believers. Assigned a place with the unfaithful. There's to be a warning for us here. We need to just not sit back and think, yeah, I trust Jesus, then just go on and and not manage what God has given me well and not look after the relationships that we have. We will all give account to our God. If you call yourself a Christian, but you don't act like you have to give an account to anyone else, be warned. That day is coming. Justice will come. Jesus doesn't mince his words and he won't mince his actions. He's showing the effects of taking your eyes off Jesus' return. It's serious. And for every victim of abuse in this room, you need to know that unrepentant abusers will never get away with it. Justice will be delivered. The true and right judge will come back and administer his justice. And he has your back. It's the very basis of why we don't need to retaliate. Why Christians in the early church and through the early centuries weren't ones that kind of demanded justice and chased and and retaliated and righted those wrongs because they knew that there was a God who would put things right and they entrusted those judgments to Him and prayed for their enemies because just like their enemies, so they had rejected their God. So we haven't treated our master as we should. And we depend and rely on the grace God has given us. We have a God who will deliver justice. So manage well. Take the opportunities we have to be ready. Look at verse 47. And that slave 
who knew his master's will, but didn't prepare himself or do it, will be severely beaten. But the one who did not know and did things deserving of blows will be beaten lightly. Much will be required of everyone who has been given much, and even more will be expected of the one who's been entrusted with more. Seeing a principle here really is a bit challenging for us. We will be judged with regard to what we know. We'll be judged with regard to how much we know. Just like we're encouraged to store up more heavenly treasure, treasure that will last forever, to share the news of Jesus with others and use the time and resources we have now to see people come to know hope and life in Jesus and live with Him forever, so we can store up treasure in heaven and make our experience of heaven even richer, so we are able to receive a greater punishment in hell if we reject Him. And that punishment here seems to be based on how much we know how we respond to the words that we have heard. If you're here and you're checking out Jesus and you decide today to go away and reject him, I'm sorry, but it will be worse for you having heard this today. I don't say that to make you scared to come to Jesus. I say it because Jesus says it and it's true. Come. See this one who longs to spend an eternity with you and put your life in his hands. Accept the forgiveness that he's offered you today. Join the wedding banquet of the one who loves you deeply before you get what you and I truly deserve. It's not like hell will be a little bit more bearable for those who didn't know. No, hell will still be hell, but it will be even more excruciating for those who knew better and were not ready. For those who did not manage well. Salvation is not based on what we do. I say it again, I want to be really clear. Our salvation, our relationship with Jesus, is not based on how much good or bad that we do. You can't earn salvation. We're all sinners. Jesus earned it for us. It's all Him. But the picture Jesus paints for you and I here today is to make clear we must not take our eyes off the ball when the boss is gone and the teacher isn't in the room and while Jesus has not yet come back. He is our master. He will return. We must be ready. And in the meanwhile, we must manage everything he's given us to manage well in light of his return. Even those who are saved will be held to account for how we've managed on earth. Jesus already said that in Luke 10, I think. Our choices really do matter. So what does that mean? It means we need to not sit on the sidelines of the opportunities God gives us. It means we can get involved with God and His kingdom and work alongside Him and use the resources and energy and time and intellect and opportunities that we have for the kingdom in every way possible. It means that as we see opportunities come up, to whom much is given, much opportunities, much money, much resources, much is expected... Uh, we see opportunities rise, like in a, in a kids' church team. We're like, well, I could give that a go. Give it a go. Try it. When there's great needs in our church, like our pack-up-and-set-up team at the moment is in desperate need of people who could just get here at nine. It's to say, you know what? I'm going to use the time I've got well and, and, and serve my, my church in that way if I can. As time comes up to be able to read the Bible with your kids 
or with a, a friend. Take those opportunities for things that will last. Manage what God has given us well, for we will be held to account for how we respond with what God has entrusted to us as stewards. So the kingdom of God, it's not like communism, where we just share everything and everyone gets the same. The kingdom of God is to those who have been given more, even more will be given, and more will be required of you. There's a sense in which I used to say, particularly when I was at Bible college, and I saw that there were these people in my year that were absolute freaks. Like they had brains the size of small planets. Right? They just, they'd look at some Hebrew kind of word paradigm and they'd write it out three times and they'd remember it. I'm like, How do you, what is that? How does anyone do that? You're like a walking memory thing. Right? And I used to stand there and I'd sit back and go, oh, well, to whom much has been given, much is expected. Kind of as a, ha, you're going to you're gonna have to be responsible for how you use that. And you will. But I use that as an excuse for me to go, well, I don't have to do as much because I haven't been given as much. <laughs> don't be as foolish as I am. We have been given so much. Compared to the rest of the world, we have so much expendable income. We have time. We have, we're not enslaved to our jobs. We can eat. We can, we can have enough to share with others and we can speak of the opportunity. We live in a country where we can tell others about Jesus and we won't go to prison. We won't get killed. I tell you, people who live in countries where they will get killed seem to be more passionate about sharing the news of Jesus than sometimes I am. We have so many opportunities. We've got such great access to the Word of God. We've got small groups all throughout our church that are opening up this Word and, and, and teaching one another well. We've got good biblical teaching each week that's getting us into the Word of God that equips us here. You're probably more equipped than some of the pastors throughout some parts of Africa. We have been given much. We have so much opportunity. So many neighbours in this city that live around us. So much to invest in the kingdom. So Jesus says... Be ready. Be ready. Use what you have for my kingdom. Manage what I've given you well in your relationships, in your time, in your relationship with me. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Why hasn't he come and put things right? Why has it been so long? I find it kind of amusing that the one who gives us the clearest answer through Scripture is Peter who at this very moment spoke up, going, he's not talking about us, is he? In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter so boldly proclaims why Jesus hasn't come back yet. Have a look, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. First, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days to scoff, living according to their own desires, saying, where is the promise of his coming? (laughs) Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. From verse 9, the Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Jesus hasn't come back yet because he's given you and me time to let God's Spirit do his work in our lives and come to him. Jesus, so Jesus' delay in coming is God's goodness and God's patience not giving us what we deserve, but giving us time. And once we've come to Him, giving us time to use what He's given us for His kingdom, because God's desire is repentance. 
Did you see that? What's holding up the kingdom of God coming is time for people to repent and turn back to God, to treat Him as He deserves to be. That is the key thing of life. That's what we are here for. Our lives are to be used to point people to Jesus, not in in some rude and sarcastic and pointed way, but in generous and warm and loving way, caring for the world we've been put amongst, managing our time well. In verse 10, Peter finishes his little word to those worried about the return of Jesus like this. It's easy to see what passage he has in his mind. 2 Peter 3 verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And on that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for and earnestly desire the coming of the day of God. Well, we're about 30 minutes on. Jesus hasn't come back yet. But I pray he does. At the same time, I pray that all those who don't know him would, would come to know him now and I might use my life to see as many people as possible come to know Jesus. Since all these things are be destroyed in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct, set apart for him and godliness as you wait for and earnestly desire the coming of the day of God. Let's pray. Father God, we are so, so, so thankful that you do not treat us right now as we deserve, that our hearts beat and our lungs fill with air, even though they don't deserve to, for we have rejected the life-giving God and we are sorry. Father, we ask that you would keep showing us the magnificence of what you've done for us in Jesus. That you would set our eyes on the things to come, on the day that Jesus returns, that we'd view the world in that light. Lord, it is a phenomenal privilege to know that Jesus is coming to serve us, <laughs> that we might be caught up in what you are doing and might know you and your son face to face, that your spirit might even live in us now and shape us and mold us and pull our heads back to see the importance of who Jesus is and what he's done. We pray that you would help us by your spirit through this word to be ready for Jesus' return, to manage all that you've given us well, to use it for your glory. Lord, it is such a privilege and an excitement. We pray, use us for your kingdom. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.